morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and today we're continuing on in our series entitled Jesus in Action. It's based on the Gospel of Mark. Today's installment is inside your bulletin. It's entitled Jesus Reveals His Power. We want each of these messages in this series to kind of be like the title of a scene. If you rented a DVD and you had scene selection and you went through this, it's like last week is like where Jesus surprised people by the way he conducted himself. Well, this week it's Jesus demonstrates his power. And so if you were selecting a scene, that's the way Mark writes his gospel. It's just one action scene after another after another so that we can put our faith in Jesus with, com- with confidence that he really is the Son of God. So today I'm going to share with you four incidents that happened over an 18-hour period that changed the disciples' lives forever. And hopefully it'll change our lives forever too because Jesus is going to display his power so there is no doubt that he is the Son of God and we are right to put our faith in him. I am excited about this whole series. I'm glad you're along for today's installment because today we're going to learn a lot about Jesus and why it's so important to put our faith in him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And today, Lord, I pray that you will strengthen our faith, that you are the almighty God of heaven, that Jesus came into this world to reveal who you are and how to have a right relationship with you. He came into this world to pay the penalty for our sins, to conquer death, and we can surrender our lives in his name. To your, We can surrender to you for your control forever. So, Lord, speak to me today. Move me out of the way. Say whatever you want to say to us. But let us leave here convinced that you are indeed mighty, and there's no problem you can't handle. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So, four scenes over an 18-hour period. First one is this. Jesus has been teaching a lot of people on the side, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he gets in a boat and tells his disciples it's time to go to the other side. Point one, Jesus calms a fierce storm. This is going to be, the disciples are going to see Jesus' power on display in four different contexts, back to back to back to back, and it's life-changing. I mean, I'm so glad I'm doing this series right during the time when the NCAA tournament is on because NCAA tournament, you have multiple stations, games are on back to back to back. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But anyway, uh, you, you leave, if you watch all these games back to back to back, you leave with this impression of like, oh my goodness, it's like if you're a college basketball junkie like I am, it's just like, this is amazing. But if you watch these games back to back to back, you have a whole different impression than if you just watch a game once in a while. Well, it's the same, the same thing's true when you read through Mark. These stories all come right at you, and when you read them back to back like we're doing now, I hope this will leave you with a powerful impression. That was Mark's intent. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, this is from the end of Mark 4, and then we'll jump into Mark 5. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. So they took Jesus in the boat, and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, began to fill with water, and Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the water, Silence! Be still! And suddenly the wind stopped, there was a great calm, and then he asked them, Now why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other, that even the wind and the waves obey him? This is the first installment in four incidents that are going to happen all in a row to convince the disciples that Jesus is not just a good man, not just a great teacher, but that he's the Son of God. And there's a note here. The disciples were afraid. 
because of circumstances beyond their control. And this is what he wants to show them. They were terrified because they were in circumstances beyond their control. Some of them had been lifelong fishermen and understood how to handle a boat in a storm, and even they were terrified. This was a bad storm. But Jesus just had to say, silence, be still. I mean, I always picture it that there's great waves washing into the boat. There's lightning flashing, wind, and the disciples are screaming, Jesus, wake up, don't you care, we're going to drown. And the boat is getting swamped, and they're bailing water. And Jesus stands up, and he goes, quiet. Moon's out. Not a cloud in the sky. I'm terrified, okay? Everybody would be just terrified. I mean, the boat just sees flat, calm. How did you do that? Well, that's the life application. We can trust in God because there are no circumstances beyond his control. There are many circumstances in life that are beyond my control. There are none beyond his control. If that's good news to you this morning, you say amen. Where would I get this idea? Oh, from Jeremiah 32, 17. Oh, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. The reason Jesus could calm the storm is because he made weather. He knows where the off switch is. He does. He's God. He can do that. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus is stronger than any storm you or I are ever going to face. And the disciples needed to know this. And that's why he turns to them and he goes, why are you so afraid? You don't believe? I mean, you've been going around telling people I'm the son of God, but then a storm comes and you completely underestimate me. Let me read Jeremiah 32, 17 again. O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing's too hard for you. This is often quoted. I've often quoted this verse to people who say, well, I think it's too hard. I don't know. Are you sure God could handle this? Oh, yeah, and this is a great proof text for this. But what even makes it even stronger is if you look up where it's written in Jeremiah 32. Here's the context for that statement. Jeremiah was a prophet called by God during a very difficult time in Israel's history. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was surrounding Jerusalem. It had been under siege for a year. The king of Judah at that time was stubborn and rebellious against what God wanted him to do. And Jeremiah was sent by God to go rebuke him. The king was angry at him and threw him into jail. And so he was in jail inside of a city that was under siege by the enemy. Okay, there was no hope for this man. People inside were starting to starve to death. He was inside of a jail in that circumstance. In that circumstance, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and God told him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go talk to a relative, send for a, friend, a relative of yours. He owns a piece of land right outside the city, right where the Babylonian army is camped, and I want you to buy that territory now. Go pay him full price for it. It'll be a sign to all the people of Israel that one day I'm going to bring him back again and that you have faith in that. So while he's in prison, he has the relative come to him and a legal scribe, so, you know, like a notary public, to come and notarize the whole thing, and he buys a piece of property while he's in prison, while the city is under siege by the Babylonians. Right after he signs the deed, he says, O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Because it would have seemed ridiculous to everybody else. Why would you buy a piece of property where the enemy army is camped? And why would you do it while you're in prison? There's no chance you're ever going to even enjoy this piece of land. And Jeremiah 
said, well, the Lord told me to do it, and nothing's impossible for him. Jeremiah did it. He understood that and believed that about God. It was important that Jesus demonstrated to the disciples that faith was not misplaced. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar. Let them roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. God is our refuge and our strength. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. Could we read that first sentence together, please? God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. I mean, what if we believe that? That's Mark's intent. You can trust him. He's stronger than any storm you can face. The disciples saw it firsthand. The story goes on. So after they leave in the evening, this is the stormy night they go through. The next morning, they arrive at the other side of the lake. Point two, Jesus frees a man from a legion of demons. And again, this whole series, I'm just going through, the, there's a lot more to be said on that first story. There's a lot more to be said on the second one. But what I want us to understand is it's significant that all these stories are back to back to back because then we're, it's to leave us with a greater impression. So the next morning, they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet them. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists smashed, and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him, And if you'd underline that. I mean, notice in the first story, even the experienced fishermen weren't able to get out of the storm, weren't able to save the boat. In this one, nobody can help the man. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. So this is every horror movie you've ever seen all rolled into one. This is the real deal. A guy howling at the moon, naked, screaming in strange voices, supernaturally strong, lives in a cemetery. Make your skin crawl. And so the next morning the disciples are getting out of the boat and they go, well, that was the scariest thing I've ever seen. And Jesus probably said, well, just, just wait a minute, turn around. <laughs> Got more for you guys. Here's lesson number two. I mean, Jesus had planned to go there. And he wants them to see something else. It gets better. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him and ran to meet him. So if you're Peter, you're going, or James, you're going, oh, Great. There's this crazy naked guy screaming in demonic voices running at us. This is good. Okay. So with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. And if you could underline, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, we're going to come back to that. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. And a legion would mean two, three, five thousand troops in the Roman army. A lot of people. So it could mean thousands. And then the evil spirit begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. And before you turn the page... I just want you to look at that statement I have you underline. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus? There are bookends in my life for when 
we talk about what God's word says and what God's clear will is, a clear command of God is. There are bookends of response. There are some people who respond and fall to their knees. I have literally had people fall to their knees in my office and ask Jesus to come into their heart. When they're confronted with their sin and they're under so much conviction, I say, you need to turn to Jesus. And they go, pray for me now. And they get on their knees and they ask Jesus into their heart. I've literally had that happen. I've also had people that respond on the other end of things where it's been clear what they need to do. We see what the scripture has to say. And they don't say it in a demonic voice, but it sends chills down my back sometimes when I read this. I've had people say, why are you interfering with me? Why are you telling me I can't indulge in my sin? Who are you? I tell them, well, I'm telling you what the Son of God says. Why are you interfering with me? Now, if you want to hear the other bookend, the other bookend is demons who will one day be thrown into the pit of hell are saying, why are you interfering with me, son of God? Demons don't want to do God's will. Demons come to steal and kill and destroy. And anytime you and I get to the place where it's clearly in God's word what we must do, and we get our hackles up and start saying, why are you interfering with me? And we get resentful and rebellious. That's not God's direction. That's the wrong direction. That's closer to this bookend. Don't miss that. That's what the demons of hell say. And there's a lesson in this for us. And the disciples saw it. And that's why in the New Testament, you will find all the disciples saying very clearly here, hey, when God tells you something to do, you need to do it. Don't delay Now flip your outline over. Well, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on a hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission. And the spirits came out of the man. They entered the pigs. The entire herd of 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside in the lake and drowned in the water. You know, it's been noted by many people on this. It was significant that they entered the pigs because there could be people that would say, had Jesus healed the man or freed the man of these demons, they could just say, well, he helped him from a mental delusion. But there were no demons. No, there was something there. Because when they left the man, they went into thousands of pigs, and the pigs drowned in the... Why would the pigs all of a sudden have a mental delusion? And this was important. Jesus is proving his power here. Don't miss this. This is an action sequence. Something left him or a number of demons left the man and went into the pigs. And that's why it's significant that 2,000 of them, remember there's a legion of demons. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened, and a crowd soon gathered around Jesus. And there they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons, and he was sitting there fully clothed, not naked anymore, perfectly sane, not cutting himself, howling in demonic voices. None of that. And they were all afraid. And then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away. And if you'd underline that, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. We'll come back to that in a minute. Now it's important to note that Jesus is stronger than the devil. Jesus is stronger than any storm we face. He's stronger than the devil. 
And he wanted his disciples to see this. That's why they'd crossed the lake. That's why he calmed the storm. So they'd believe he's stronger than any storm. That's why he cast out thousands of demons out of this man. Scariest man you can ever imagine. But isn't it interesting? The demon-possessed man who scared everybody out of supernatural strength, when he came running at Jesus, he was the one who was terrified, not Jesus. And it's just, ain't that a kick in the head? The reason why is Jesus is stronger than the devil. Now, in Mark 3, Mark records that after Jesus had been doing this ministry and driving demons out of people, there had been some scribes. These were the experts in the Old Testament. They came down, and in the Jewish law, they had come down to invest, or had gone up from Jerusalem, I should say, uh, to the Galilee region there, to investigate what Jesus was doing. They'd heard about this preacher, and they didn't want some country bumpkin coming and leading people into something that would take them away from their power. And so when they witnessed Jesus cast out demons, here's what they said. They were jealous of Jesus, and these religious leaders said, well, Jesus is possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. I mean, we can't deny the demons flee, but that's because he's the prince. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. Well, how can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart, and if Satan is divided and fights against himself, he'd never survive. Who's powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and plunder his house. Who is that? Jesus. Would you say his name with me, please? Jesus. Jesus is stronger than the devil himself. And here, write this in the margin. Some of you know this already. Revelation 20, verse 10 needs to be side by side with this passage. I, I wish I would have put it in there. This is from the second last page in the Bible, in this copy here. And then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake, burning with sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. And there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Jesus wins. My goodness, that was the lamest amen I've ever gotten. That was so powerful. I mean, I just wish I, wish I would have had a microphone gun, mic drop, you know, whatever here. It's like, I mean, come on, let me read this again. I mean, this is, this is absolutely amazing. Revelation 20, verse 10, And then the devil, who had deceived them, will be, uh, will be thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is amazing. And why would we have confidence in that? And why would John, who wrote this, believe that? Well, he had seen Jesus manhandle a whole legion of demons. He was there. John was. He was there. Same guy who wrote about that in Revelation. And Mark wanted us to know this. You've got to believe this. I mean, he really is the Son of God. He's stronger than the devil. Here's a life application. Devil run from us, we run to God. Devil run from us, we run to God. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. If we chase after the things of the world, we're running into the devil's home. We're playing on his home turf. If we run to God, the devil can't follow. Jesus is infinitely stronger than the devil. 
The demons were bowing at his feet saying, don't torture us. So if I want the devil to leave me alone, the safest place is to run to Jesus. I mean, that just makes sense. Many of you have never met my brother. He's four years older than I am. And when I was small, he took great delight in beating me up routinely. Okay? He's an older brother. That was his prerogative, and he made the most of it. But one side benefit of that was he resented it if anybody else beat me up. That was his prerogative only. Okay? (laughs) So if somebody was picking on me at school, I just had to run to my brother. And then he could beat them up, too. Okay? And when they saw my older brother, they were not courageous anymore. I run to him, they leave me alone. And he goes, let's go home so I can beat you up. Okay. All right, another story. But what happens if we run to Jesus? The devil cannot follow. That's why we don't want to make friends with sinful things. That's why the Bible tells us, hey, wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Get rid of the sin. Run to Jesus. And then you don't have to worry about Satan in your life anymore. Jesus is stronger Who's strong enough to bind up a strong man? A stronger man who binds him up and pitches him into hell. That's Jesus. And Mark wants you to know about it. He's stronger than any storm. He's stronger than the devil himself. Point three. So this is all, and this is, that was overnight, early morning. Story continues. This is still the same day and a half here. This is amazing. Jesus heals a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. So Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake. I mean, this is all, this is a movie. This is scene after scene after scene after scene. And we can't miss this. And there was a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter's dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. And Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. Now a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she'd spent everything she had to pay them, but she'd gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. So she'd heard about Jesus, and she came up right behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Well, Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? And his disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing against you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. And then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering's over. Here's an important note. Though some people want Jesus to leave them alone, others are desperately trying to reach him. If you go right across the page where that note is, and just go right across, if you underline before where I asked you to, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone, you'll see that's right where it is. Don't miss this. Do you know that there are people in this world, those people who had seen, who had heard what the... Uh, the herdsmen of the pigs had said, they saw the man sitting in his right mind. There weren't any sick people there in their country. There weren't any people in need of a miracle. Oh, yeah, there were. But they told Jesus, go away. Leave. They're more worried about their pigs than they were about the Son of God. 
people ask me a lot of times, they go, well, how do you know? I mean, we're going to do all these sites and things. What are you looking for at a place to start a site? Looking for a place where God is working. How would you know? Well, it's where people, I mean, Jesus, it wasn't hard. There was a woman seeking him. Jairus was begging him to come. I mean, one of the things I pray for all the time, that God will lead us to people who are convinced that God brought us together and want us to work with them. I'm also convinced the wrong place to be, for us to be involved is where people are saying, leave us alone. <laughs> That's probably not a good thing. Jesus told his disciples, when people tell you that, shake the dust off your sandals, move to the next town. I mean, it's so interesting. The disciples had seen all of this. On one side of the lake, and they go to the other. They've seen him calm the storm. They see him drive out the demons. They see the people there in, in full view of an amazing miracle. Leave us alone! They go to the other side, and the crowds press in, and people are just going, can I just touch you? I mean, it just shows where people are. And this is going to happen in our lives, too, where people are on both sides of that. Here's a life application. God will reward us if we sincerely seek him. Jesus told you, your faith has made you well. If I can just touch him. Now remember, the disciples couldn't handle a boat in the storm, even though they were experienced fishermen. The storm was beyond their control. The people in the region of that cemetery couldn't handle the demon-possessed man. He was beyond their control. The woman had gone to doctors for 12 years, and they couldn't make her better. In fact, she got worse because the disease was beyond their control. Jesus is stronger than any disease. He's stronger than any demon. He's stronger than any storm. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. I mean, Mark wants us to see this. The disciples couldn't miss it. We dare not. It's why we put our faith in him, that he's the son of God. We go, wow, John, that's amazing. Could there be more? Yes, there's more. Point four. Jesus raised a little girl from the dead. While he is still speaking to the woman who's been healed, I mean, imagine this. You didn't get any sleep last night because you're in this terrifying storm. You get up in the morning and there's this terrifying man. You get back to the other side of the lake and there's this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and she's miraculously healed just by touching Jesus' robe. And while Jesus is still talking to her, saying, go in peace, your suffering is over, while he was still speaking, this is Mark 5, speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus. Remember, he was the guy coming and asked Jesus to heal his daughter? And they tell him, oh, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. And then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into a room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed, and Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened, and then he told them to give her something to eat. Note, Jesus is stronger than death. He's stronger than any storm we face. He's stronger than the devil himself. 
He's stronger than any disease, and he's stronger than death. I mean, there are times when I'm officiating a funeral and other things, and I, we talk about the hope of eternal life, and they go, well, how do you know that's true? Well, you tell them not only about the Easter story, how Jesus has risen from the dead himself, but also these stories. The reason I have faith that this is a man who knows how to conquer death is the Bible tells me so. Mark doesn't want us to miss this. We put our faith in Christ that when we die, he takes our souls home with him, that he can actually handle that. Well, he's proving he's stronger than death. In fact, this is what's here in this note from Revelation 1.18. John saw a vision of Jesus, and Jesus told him, I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in the grave. I hold the keys. Just like with the storm. He had the keys to the weather control. I mean, we call the weather channel weather central. Well, that just reports on it. I mean, Jesus has the real weather central. Turn it off. I mean, he holds the keys to hell and death. And the reason we trust our souls to him is there's no one else whom we can. I mean, he is the son of God. And this is dawning on the disciples more and more and more. In 18 hours, they've seen him calm a storm. A demon-possessed man filled with a legion of demons is now sane, fully clothed, and going back to his home telling people about Jesus. A woman who's been bleeding for 12 years is healed because she had enough faith just to touch Jesus. And now a girl who is dead whom everybody was laughing when Jesus arrived at her house, nobody's laughing anymore because the girl's walking around. And they gave her a sandwich. Life application, it's never too late to bring our problems to Jesus. Peter, who was there when the girl sat up. Peter, who was there when the woman was healed. Peter, who was there when the demon-possessed man came rushing at them. Peter, who was in the boat when the storm stopped said this, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Could we say that verse together, please? Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Would you turn to the person next to you and let's say it together again? Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. We need to remind each other that every day. When I'm scared to death, when it looks too hard, when I don't know where to turn, I'm going to trust in Jesus because he's stronger. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the day. I thank you for the gospel of Mark. Lord, this is amazing. Lord, when I see this story, when I hear this unfold, story after story, back to back to back to back, your power is displayed. So why am I afraid? And Lord, I think you would say to me exactly what you said to those disciples. Why were you so afraid? Why don't you believe? Lord, I worry about things and I talk about things with other people and many times I don't even pray and surrender them to you. And foolishly, Lord, I play around with things of the world and then wonder why the devil's attacking me with such success. 
Forgive us, Lord, for our lack of faith. Forgive us for being friends of the world. In a moment of silence, if the Lord has laid anything on your heart recently, it's a big problem. Maybe it's a friend who's far from Jesus. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe you're afraid of a confrontation that's coming up. It's all too big for you. Whatever it is, you say, Lord, I need your help. Just take 10 seconds right now. Any situation that's too big, that's too hard for you to handle, say, Lord, I can't handle this, but you can Pray now. He's listening. Lord, I thank you that you're always more ready to listen than we are to pray. Forgive us for our lack of faith. We come to you now. We're grateful that you hear us. We know that you hear us because we pray these things in the name of Jesus. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Son of God. Amen.